Welcome to The Buzz, I'm Christopher Conover. This week, we take a look ahead to the start of a new legislative session in Arizona. Next week, state lawmakers convene at the Capitol for their annual session. But before that, the new executive leaders were sworn in. On Monday, the governor and other statewide leaders took their oaths of office in a private ceremony that was followed on Thursday by a public inaugural. I, Tom Horn. I, Kimberly Yee. I, Chris Mays. I, Adrian Fulton. I, Kathleen Marie Hobbs, do solemnly swear, do solemnly swear, that I will support the Constitution of the United States, that I will support the Constitution of the United States, and the Constitution and law of the state of Arizona, of the state of Arizona, that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same and defend them against all enemies, foreign and domestic, foreign and domestic, and to faithfully and impartially discharge the duties, discharge the duties of the Office of Secretary of State, the Office of Superintendent of Public Instruction, the Office of State Treasurer, of the Office of Attorney General, of the Office of Governor, according to the best of my ability, according to the best of my ability, so help me God, so help me God. The three Democrats and two Republicans who make up the executive branch in Arizona each spoke about their priorities once they took their oath of office. Superintendent of Public Instruction Tom Horn was the first, pledging to work with schools that need the most help. We will develop school improvement teams of highly qualified teachers and administrators who will visit schools with low test scores and help them improve their academic performance. Second, increasing academic results. My heroes are math teachers who love math, history teachers who love history, and so on. Some of them have complained, complained to me that they want to teach their subjects bell to bell. They love their subjects, but they cannot because of distractions that are imposed upon them. We will do everything in our power to remove those distractions and make sure teachers can teach bell to bell. It is no secret that test scores are low right now. Our number one goal will be to significantly increase test scores so that our students can compete in the international economy. We will need to do everything we can to help the districts improve academic performance and at the same time hold them accountable for whether students are learning the state standards as shown on test scores. Our tests will be based solely on materials that schools have been told need to be taught and that are in the state standards. Treasurer Kimberly Yee was the only statewide official on the stage starting her second term in office. We have doubled our total assets, reaching $30.9 billion. Earnings exceed $2.3 billion. Our K-12 education system will receive $402 million in this fiscal year in land investments alone. I visited all 15 of our beautiful counties regularly, and our local governments saw a 75% increase in their earnings. Attorney General Chris Mays won her race by fewer than 300 votes after the mandatory recount and thanked those who helped. I want you to know, to, as I stand here with you today, whether you voted for me or not, 
I will fight for you. I will fight to protect our most vulnerable residents. I will fight to protect our precious natural resources like our water. I will fight to protect our bodily autonomy. Secretary of State Adrian Fontes reminded the audience that everyone knows what is right. He also pledged to work to restore faith in Arizona elections. He and Supervisor Bill Gates, like so many around the nation, are now fulfilling their duties under the disgraceful and anti-American circumstances involving harassment and threats towards election officials, threats to their lives. This domestic terrorism is anathema to the constitutional order and must be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. Honor and integrity will replace conspiracy and fascism. Hard work and prosperity will replace grift and uncertain chaos. Election officials who do their work nobly in the face of these threats should be commended, properly compensated, and supported robustly in the work that they do on behalf of the democracy that upholds our great republic. Governor Katie Hobbs gave the longest speech, calling this the start of a new chapter for Arizona and promising to work across the political aisle. The greatest promise of our nation, of democracy, is that individuals from vastly different backgrounds and beliefs can put our differences aside to find common ground and do what's right for our fellow citizens, for each other. And make no mistake, it is clear what we must do. We must find common ground and do what's right. To invest in public schools and finally provide the support our students, teachers, and parents deserve. <laughs> to create good paying jobs and lower costs. To defend reproductive freedom and women's rights. <laughs> to support public safety in all communities. <laughs> to ensure access to safe, affordable housing. <laughs> to enable small businesses and entrepreneurs to thrive. To hold Washington accountable for our broken immigration system and its devastating impact on families and communities. To safeguard our elections. To protect our forests and public lands. To secure Arizona's water future. and so much more. Hobbs also had a warning for those who oppose her. If you're ready to make real progress on the issues that matter most to the, to the people of this state, then my door will always be open. <laughs> Let me also say just as clearly that chasing conspiracy theories, pushing agendas for special interests, 
attacking the rights of your fellow Arizonans, or seeking to further undermine our democracy will lead nowhere. Next week, Governor Hobbs will give her first speech to a joint session of the legislature to lay out more of her vision. You're listening to The Buzz. I'm Christopher Conover. This week, we're looking ahead to the legislative session, which begins next week. Republican Ben Toma is the next speaker of the Arizona House, an election that, unlike the one in the nation's capital, was not filled with drama. Toma started our conversation talking about what the top issues will be for state lawmakers. Well, in many ways, uh, in my experience in, in the five years that I've been here, it's hard to predict what will happen. Having said that, you know, we're, we're coming off of decades of, gov- of governors and of legislatures that um, have been under Republican control. And as such, you have uh, lots of policies that have been taking place that have, that have um, encouraged lots of people to move here. All of those things are, are things that we're going to be focused on defending from the perhaps incoming administration. In addition to that, you know, we've, as you probably already know, and most of your listeners know, there, there have been lots of discussions around water. Uh, I do think, though, just to push back a little bit on, the, on some of the fear mongering, uh, there, there is really no danger to our, to our citizens. It's really more uh, on, on the agriculture side, not to say it's not an issue because it definitely is. And then, you know, one final point, which I think often gets overlooked, is that, you know, 85% of our of our bills are actually bipartisan, non-controversial bills that happen every year. It's just that nobody really likes to focus on them because they don't attract attention when no one's fighting about it. As you said, the vast, vast majority, uh, beyond supermajority uh, levels of bills that go through are non-controversial, bipartisan. But you also use the phrase defend against the new governor. What do you expect the relationship to be between a Republican legislature and a Democratic governor? Well, the thing about relationships is that they're, they're both ways, right? They go both ways, and it depends on both sides. I honestly don't know how to answer that just yet. You know, we've had a very quick initial meeting. It, it was fine. We didn't really talk about anything so, uh, substantive. Uh, that wasn't the purpose. It was just a say hello, meet, greet type of, type of meeting. So, you know, it really will depend. For me, when it, especially when it comes to legislative uh, priorities, what matters is results, not so much rhetoric. Uh, in a campaign, it's all about the one-liners and about the, you know, the high-level talking points. At the legislature, it's all about the details. Make sure that you get that right and make sure that, um, that your colleagues have faith that you've got it right. So I, I think it'll be a bit of a learning opportunity for everybody involved and I, for myself, I can say that I'm not a fan of attacking any individual. Um, I don't think that that moves the ball forward. However, I will have strong positions on policy, uh, and the items that I've that I've talked about before, you know, low taxes, um, school choice, and and a good regulatory environment are things that I'm going to defend with all that I've got. Carryover issue, I guess we can call it that from last year, is the aggregate expenditure limit for schools. We're back in the boat again. Uh, parents are, are starting to get a little worried. Last year didn't get tackled right at the top of the session, came up right against the deadline. How do you see that playing out this year? Well, I can say that I support raising the AEL and that the House was ready to come into special session to, 
to uh, to deal with it. Um, this is a political issue, so I know that's stating the obvious, but that's that's the reality of where we are. Uh, I will point out that we've always done it. There was one exception, and that was during the the massive downturn of uh, and and the thirty percent budget deficit uh, in two thousand eight, I believe, or two thousand nine. But and then even that was worked out in a way that 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 made sense and, and made sure that there were no uh, massive disruptions. So we will find a way. I'm not concerned about it. Um, that was the deal. We we increased public education funding and we've increased school choice and. And for those reasons, uh, most of my caucus will support raising the AEL. Do you see that as another one-year fix, or do you see a longer-term solution to AEL this year? Well, and I think that's a great question. The The, the challenge is that the AEL is, um, cannot be raised permanently without going to the voters. The best we could do is potentially refer something to the ballot, but that's not a politically done simple thing that you can just do instantly. And quite frankly, those that support um, increased in, 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 in public education funding need to be very careful. Details matter. What that looks like when, if and when we do end up referring it to the ballot, remember it has to pass. And if it smells like a tax increase, then it becomes something difficult to win at the ballot box. And so I'm not sure that you want that. There were some members of the legislature talking about water, as you brought up earlier who right at the end of the year were a little, um, we'll say, uncomfortable with the way the Water Infrastructure Finance Authority was doing some things that the governor, Governor Ducey, at the time approved right at the end of his term. Do you see a change in maybe giving some more oversight to that authority? You know, I must admit that I haven't been super close personally to the water issue, um, not to say that it's unimportant by any means, but just that I haven't been heavily involved. Uh, I think all options are still on the table when it comes to dealing with WIFA. And, uh, you know, I don't know if if desal is the, the only option, but uh, I, I don't think it is the only option. I think we need to look at all options uh, before we before we make uh, final commitments. So last year and the year before, we heard a lot about the 2020 election. Can we put that behind us? Um, and can, can we put this year's election behind us also on a legislative uh, scale? Or do you expect bills dealing with it and, and the issue to keep coming up? Well, one of the beauties of uh, being in a, a legislature with multiple members is that every member has their own a priority. And actually, that's the way the system was set up. And so there there will be bills dealing with elections. Like it's unfortunate what happened um, in Maricopa County, in particular with the with the, the machine issues. There are going to be some bills dealing with this. Having said that, you know, again, everything takes 31, 16 and one to get signed or 40, 20 uh, without the one. And so uh, because of that, I, I do think you're going to see some some limited issues uh, dealing with, uh, with with elections that, that do end up getting across the finish line. I can say at least for 2020, that conversation is largely over. It's time for us to, to focus on governing. That's what we have to do. And that's what you're going to see us focus on. Are you advising the members of your caucus and, and really even you know, the House as a whole to remember for lack of a better term, that there is a Democrat upstairs, there are slim Republican majorities and running things that are super controversial, you're not going to get a lot of traction 
for example, and I know it's a Senate bill, Senator Kavanaugh has the bill on gender uh, pronouns in schools to think about those bills before they file them because of the political realities? I'm not sure that it's really my role to advise them of that. I, I think it's fairly obvious to anybody here that the, the governor has a different take on some of those issues than than we do. So I, I don't, you know, I don't think that that's something that's really, strictly speaking, necessary. Having said that, I, I do think that there will be some bills that we knowingly will send up to the to the ninth floor that she will veto. And it sort of highlights the political difference or the, or the worldview difference. Having said that, it's often how you say something and not necessarily what you say. There will be things where we just disagree and we're never going to come to an agreement. And at some level, that's OK. Well, I will not ask you to predict when Sine Die will be. It seems a little early for that prediction. <laughs> I think I'll end this by saying good luck and we'll be in touch through the session, no doubt. Well, thank you. I appreciate the time. That was Representative Ben Toma, the next speaker of the Arizona House of Representatives. Watching Toma and the other members of the legislature will be reporter Howard Fisher with Capital Media Services. He's the dean of the Arizona Capitol Press Corps, a title he says he doesn't always like because it means he's old. But for decades, Fisher has been the public's eyes and ears in the seat of government. We began our conversation talking about the transition from Governor Doug Ducey to Governor Katie Hobbs. In the closing days of his administration, Ducey made sure state money was spent, judges were appointed, and some said his legacy pushed forward. Fisher said even though some were upset with Ducey, that was his job. One of the nice things about being the governor is you do get to appoint judges, uh, you know, we do have a, quote unquote, merit selection process here where governors can only appoint people who have been screened by a panel. Sometimes the panels, uh, however, just throw up everybody who they think the governor might want. The issue with with the money is, you know, the former governor said, look, I was given this money uh, by the federal government under COVID relief. It is up to me to decide how to spend it. I've already allocated a lot of it. And people have become dependent on this money, whether it's for an opera or summer school or something like that. Katie Hobbs, even if she did believe that maybe this is proper use of the money, didn't want to be locked in. And I don't blame her either. But the fact is that before she got a chance, the Ducey administration had said, nope, never mind, all taken care of, nothing to see here. You know, we haven't been through a transition in a while, especially changing parties. Is this normal? Well, <laughs> there's a long history. This is my ninth governor. And no, I do not go back to George W.P. Hunt, despite what I'm sure some of our listeners believe. It varies from year to year. Obviously, every governor leaving office wants to have his or her legacy, things that they, they want to be remembered for. And this was the last chance. Now, you could also make the argument that this former governor's legacy may have been tainted by the fact that he did promise, depending on who you talk to, to call a special session on the aggregate expenditure limit. He got the Democrats to provide him the votes he needed for the budget that he wanted, which included more money for education, since some Republicans said it would be over their cold, dead bodies that they would provide it. They didn't want to deal with this constitutional expenditure limit at the time because there was some legal issues going on. They didn't want that to, to be part of the court case. Afterwards, 
you know, he said, well, no, worry, we'll, we'll call a special. Well, then what happened is the election didn't go the way he expected. And so he and I'm sure some Republican lawmakers say, this is our last hurrah. This is our last chance to throw in something else that we can get in exchange for aggregate expenditure limit. Well, that fell apart. I don't think history will look kindly on him because I think truthfully, no matter what you believe, I think he did make a promise. And I think he sort of, if he didn't break it, he certainly bent it. We spoke earlier with Representative Toma, who will be leading the House unless something strange happens like is going on in Washington, D.C., as you and I talk. And he said, oh, the aggregate expenditure limit, we've always passed it, we'll pass it, people shouldn't be concerned. Sitting outside the chamber, what do you see as that issue going forward? I think the votes are there. Particularly, you know, you have the Democrats in the House have 29 of the 60 votes. They have 14 of the 30 votes in the Senate. And there are enough moderate Republicans who would go along with them. The problem becomes if either chamber decides to impose a caucus rule. In other words, we won't put it up unless half of our members agree to it. And I think in the House and the Senate, depending on how you look at it, there may not be enough Republicans only. And if they do that, now we're, we're going ahead and we're headed for you know some sort of a collision. If the schools don't have the authorization to spend the money by March 1st, they have to start cutting 17% of their budget on average. And it's going to be real hard to do that, particularly since they have fixed expenditures, whether it's the building, heck, even the teacher contracts. So what do they do? They close down the schools. I'm believing that perhaps Mr. Toma is right, that when push comes to shove, that a lot of lawmakers are going to say, do they really want to go home to their districts, even if this isn't an election year, and say, oh, I'm sorry, your schools are shut down, but we did this as a matter of principle. When it comes to the legislature this year, Republicans have a very narrow majority in both chambers. Of course, Governor Hobbs is a Democrat, which sets up some fights. Do you see any more bipartisan work because of these politics, or is it just going to be more of what we've seen with party line votes on the controversial issues? Because so many bills do go through, you know, fully supported. Well, I think there will be some testing of the new governor. The record on number of vetoes was set by Janet Napolitano back in 2003. I think it was 58. I think they were finally convinced, well, we're not going to slide something past her here. And so things got calmer after that. And I think this new legislature, particularly with, in some ways, some more conservative Republicans in there, including in the Senate leadership, is going to try to do some things. But I think they're going to realize we, we have to work with the reality on the ground. The governor's power is that big red veto stamp. People have asked me, how many vetoes are you expecting this year? Are you expecting a, a new record? I think at some point they will say, you know, what's the point? Now, the other side of that equation is the leadership needs to keep the rank and file, you know, the, the minions you know, in, in check. And they may say, look, I don't think you'll get this by the governor, but if you feel the need to vote on this, I think at a certain point it'll calm down and we will figure out, uh, you know, okay, we've got to make government function. So talking about elections and 2020, we're, we're now three years, uh, well, two and a half, if you look at calendars, past the 2020 election. Um, 
We were still talking about it during last year's legislative session. Are we going to talk about the 2020 election during this year's session? And besides some of the obvious things with Maricopa County's uh, machine issues early on Election Day, are we going to talk about this election for a while also during the legislature, do you think? Oh, I think so. Now, remember, the, the, the two top Republicans in the Senate are Warren Peterson, who's the Senate president, and Sonny Borelli, who is the majority leader. These were two of the big proponents of the audit, and I use that term in very loosely, that, depending on who you talk to, either proved that the election results were accurate because the recount that they did at the Coliseum over months showed there was really no difference, or if you believe some of the other folks saying, but look, they didn't follow procedures and there were all these additional ballots added to the system. We don't have chain of custody. So, you know, this election is not going away. Uh, part of it may be, does Kerry Lake go away? There are folks who want some changes to the process, but it's not all the, I don't want to label them as, as you know, recalcitrants, but there are other people. Maricopa County recorder Stephen Richards said, look, you're unhappy that we didn't have election results immediately. Well, in Maricopa County, you had 290,000 people who brought their early ballots in on election day, which couldn't be counted until everything else was counted. He is suggesting a law similar to Florida, where if you have an early ballot, you have to get it in by Friday or Saturday before. And then we can count them before election day. And then election night, you'll really know what the totals are. You know, I'm not saying that the, the, the paranoid folks will, will give up. But if, if that change would, would make a big difference. Well, it's going to be another session of excitement and fun, no doubt, for all of us who get to sit and watch. <laughs> well, it always is. And here's the other thing that uh, I've learned over the years. Whatever it is that holds up the end of the session, we do not know that now. It will be something that arises perhaps in March, early April, that all of a sudden the place comes to a screeching halt. And then they try to figure out, how do we fix it? You know, I'm guessing yeah, late May or early June, hopefully not like we did back when Moffitt was governor, where we actually went into July 1st without a budget. And everybody kind of squinted and pretended, well, maybe we really do so we don't have to shut down DPS. The old unplug the clock routine in the chamber. Yes, right before midnight. Exactly. <laughs> well, thanks for spending some time with us. Glad to do it. That was reporter Howard Fisher with Capital Media Services. And that's the buzz for this week. You can find all our episodes online at azpm.org and subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for The Buzz Arizona. We're also on the NPR One app. Zach Ziegler is our producer. Jim Blackwood is our production engineer. And our music is by Enter the Haggis. I'm Christopher Conover. Thanks for listening. Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.